Welcome to Recovery Stories, a podcast about recovery from sexual addiction. I'm your host, Snowy Snail. I'm a husband, comic artist, student, creator, and sex addict. Much can be said about what sexual addiction is or what it means, but we're going to keep it simple. In our experience, we came to a point where we wanted to stop our sexual behavior. Unfortunately, we found that we could not stop. Pornography, masturbation, and sex and became a drug, a slave driver, and a prison. We wanted freedom. We wanted serenity. We wanted peace. This is our story. This podcast is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship, though we draw heavily from a variety of 12-step literature. Anything shared here is the opinion of the person who said it. Take what you need and leave the rest. In each episode, we will hear from real people in recovery. In order to maintain our anonymity, we may use pseudonyms, but (laughs) today we are hearing from Mike, and we're very grateful to have Mike here with us. Um, This story does contain explicit content uh, related to sexual abuse, uh, serving time in prison, prison sentences, the judicial process, um, and other and, and themes along those lines. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there for anybody in case uh, you know, in case you're dealing with trauma from those kind of events that you can be prepared hopefully for engaging with with this message. And without further ado, we'll turn it over to Mike. Thank you, Spencer. It's a privilege to be on this podcast. I really love what you're doing and getting messages out of recovery stories. To be honest with you, I have so much gratitude in my heart for how my higher power has blessed me to have a mighty change in my life. It's been 24 years of addiction until I went to prison and was able to get in the condition, the mindset, take a time out where I had the opportunity to get the right therapy and come into my higher power where I was able to gradually have this mighty change happen to me, which I'm grateful for because I have a wife and children and they mean so much to me and I want to be the father and the husband that they deserve. So just a little bit about me. Uh, uh, I'm married and have seven children. Um, I was sexually abused when I was growing up by four different men. And because of that, I acquired same-sex attraction. I didn't want it. But because the men in my life were doing that, that was where the attraction came from. And I struggled with that all my life until I went to prison, like I said, and was able to have a mighty change. There is hope, I know, for addiction because there is hope that a higher power, God, can actually remove the desires that we have. I never thought that was possible. So many people told me that once you have same-sex attraction, you have it forever, and I don't judge anybody that enjoys those feelings or has those feelings. That's not my place. For me, um, it just wasn't what I wanted, but I never, nevertheless had the feelings for that. And I was also, of course, attracted to women, and that was my 
my life is being married and having these wonderful children that I have. But I went ahead and repented in my life. I was always repenting, actually. I was always confessing. I was always trying. It wasn't like I was just enjoying my sexual addiction that I had. I really wanted to stop looking at pornography. But it was... I didn't know how, to be honest with you. I just didn't know how to do it. Um, I didn't get the... I wasn't in the right mindset, probably, and I also did not have... Uh, the right advice, the right therapy. I had a lot of shame also that stopped me from seeking help in a humble way that I really needed to. You see, I was truly living two lives. I had my life of uh, coaching, and I had my life of church service in positions that uh, were service-oriented. I had my life as a husband and a father, and then I had my secret life, of pornography addiction and things related to that. I really hated having two different lives, two different parts of me. And I really, again, did not feel comfortable talking to a lot of people about it because I did. I cared about what people thought about me. I had a lot of pride. But I learned fast that God in my opinion, does not work in secret. That's the importance of step four and five in uh, the 12-step program is we, we need to come forth and be vulnerable and share our secrets and receive, um, receive compassion. In fact, Brene Brown has a book called Daring Greatly that talks about shame resilience. And she talks about how when we're vulnerable with other people that we trust, I'm not saying tell the world, but I'm saying when we're vulnerable with other people that we trust and we receive compassion, it helps us eliminate shame in our lives. I just was too afraid to do that, thinking that, in fact, I'd even know that's the formula and how it worked. But I do know that Satan or the devil works in darkness and he loves secrets And everything I did that I couldn't stop was in secret. Pornography was in secret. My crime that led me to prison was in secret. And if I only would have brought it to light sooner, I think God could have worked with me a lot better and and helped me sooner. But I'm so grateful in my life at the time that I went to prison. Most people may not say that. I was in prison for four years. And a lot longer than I was hoping to go. And I didn't even want to go. Of course, I didn't want to go. But there, I, there was a plea deal I did not take that would have not led me to prison. But I feel like um, it was what I needed to do in order to change. I didn't want to take a lifetime of changing. I, I had prayed and I told God I would do, was willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it took to overcome these same-sex attraction feelings and this pornography that I, addiction that I had. And I know I was uh, so addicted at times that uh, it took, kind of took over my life at times. Uh, I had important things I had to do. Even on a business trip, I was stuck in, in the airport 
looking at pornography on my phone when I needed to make a flight, but I was willing to stay and because everything that was important to me was that that pornography that I was looking at. So I realized there's a lot of things in my life that I needed to change. And going to prison and being taken away from my wife and children and being put in a cell. I remember the first day I got there, I was put in uh, maximum security because that's what they do when um, they don't know who you are or if you're gang-affiliated, which I'm not. And they, you're in your cell for 23 hours a day out of 24, and you get to go out for one hour. And besides that, you're just in your cell. There's a toilet, there's a bathroom, there's two bunk beds, there's a, a slit in the wall, a little window is foggy, and there's evil graffiti everywhere, and they feed you through a hole in the door. And I was used to being free until I got to that point. I was in chains uh, many times. Whenever I left my cell, I had to be in chains. And this is just not me, it's everybody. When they first come into prison, that's what happens. By the grace of God, uh, there was a person that was on death row uh, beneath, beneath me uh, in the tier that uh, came up and talked to me and gave me some religious material and comforted me. In fact, uh, when he got to prison, he, uh, he had a little mouse that uh, used to come into his cell. He was all alone for years in a cell. And he had a little mouse that he fed that became his friend, and that's what saved him. But this person from death row actually saved me. He was very kind and compassionate. And I moved from place to place in prison. I was eventually taken into population where I lived with other people and uh, got a chance, an opportunity to get the therapy that I needed. But addiction is like handcuffs. It's like chains. Um, you, you can't get out of them. I, I couldn't get out of these chains. Uh, they're they have special locks on them. There's a chain that wraps around my waist when they put the handcuffs on my hands. There's chains on and, and handcuffs, or I guess it would be ankle cuffs that they put on when they transport prisoners from place to place. And it was impossible to walk. It was impossible to run. It was impossible to move around. It was really difficult to sit in a, a vehicle when being transported. And... My addiction was like that. Addiction is like that. It's it's almost unbearable where it's almost impossible to choose when we're addicted to something. I remember when I was having my back problems and I had prescription opioids and the pain was horrendous. I went five years of preparing for a back surgery. There was a fusion that I, at a young age, that I really didn't want to get, but I had to because of the pain, and I was prescribed 120 milligrams of Oxycontins a day, and that was very addicting, and actually, I struggled with thinking on it many times, and it was very difficult. I had to get to the point to where uh, my wife and I had to borrow $26,000 to put me into a drug rehab so that I could do whatever it took to get off those opioids. I chose to go a five-day taper and go cold turkey after that, which threw me into withdrawals for 40 days, which was life-threatening, my surgeon said. He, was, he did not 
like to see me do that. He said that I shouldn't have done that, but I was so tired of the effects. I think that's one of the main reasons I changed was how it affected not only me, but other people. But the chains can be loosed. If somebody looses the chains, for example, if somebody's putting handcuffs on me and they, they don't put them on tight and they're loose, it's very easy to take those handcuffs off. But I could not take them off without... Of course, I didn't even try to take them off. I was a very um, good inmate. I followed the rules because I didn't want to stay there any longer than I had to. But uh, addiction is the same way. The only way that I was able to get out of my addiction was to have God and my higher power is Jesus Christ have God, my higher power, and Jesus Christ actually loose the bands from my wrist, the chains that bound me so that I could shake them off. And that's what I learned. It's only through my higher power that that's possible. So for many years, my wife hoped that I might change. She was patient. She was kind. She was loving. And she stuck with me the whole time I was in prison. For some reason, she had hope that someday I would change. After 17 years, that miracle happened. But it wasn't until I added the, the letter Y to the word might that I had a mighty change. And that Y is the reason why I wanted to change. And I had to add it to my, my might, my effort, in order to have a mighty change through my higher power. And that why is the reason why I uh, had the motivation to change. So I learned what it meant to be in bondage physically. For four years, I was able to maybe walk around uh, 50 feet, maybe 100 feet, maybe 300 feet at times. Uh, one place I had a, a track that I could walk on, but besides that, there were fences and barbed wire and and uh, I just lived in this small area for four years and I wasn't free and so I learned the importance of freedom I learned gratitude for what I have <clears throat> I learned gratitude for a fork that I wasn't able to use in prison for four years I floss which I didn't have for the first couple weeks and I had to take string out of my socks and use for floss after losing everything, I had so much gratitude to have the small things in life and to give the credit to my higher power. I believe that's the connection that I needed to have was my higher power in order to help me to change. In fact, I know it was. But uh, my why is, is freedom. Um, I hated being in bondage to same-sex attraction feelings. I hated being in bondage to addiction where I just had these tugs and pulls constantly in my life where I I was tempted and I had to, many times I would give my phone to my neighbors or take my computer outside or give my, my phone to my wife or have, have passwords, have internet filters and blockers. Um, so many times I've done tried so many things, but it wasn't something that I could do. It's only something that my higher power could do, and he knew the path that I needed to go in order to overcome this uh, this addiction. 
I didn't want to live an, an addiction life where I would repent and confess and then I'd be tempted all the time unbearably and and white knuckle it and and uh, keep trying and then it happened again and I'd have to repent. I know that's that's life where we're always trying to be better and repentance is daily, but I just was tired of the the tugs and pulls and addictions. I was tired of same-sex attraction. I did not like those feelings. So God knew the path I needed to go on. And my path, even though I was given a plea deal of not going to prison, I I went chose to go to a jury trial and got convicted and went to prison instead, which I don't think I would have changed as much or even at all as much if I would have not gone to prison. So my why is my freedom. Freedom from addiction, freedom from prison. Uh, it's just an amazing feeling to be out of prison and to walk around, to drive around, uh, even though I, I'm on parole and have restrictions. It's such a wonderful thing to be out of prison. And I have new ideas and found in and uh, experience with accountability and the importance of being accountable, returning and reporting. My, my second why is my relationship with my, my higher power. I, I love my higher power. I love God. I love Jesus. I am just amazed at the love that they have to allow me to find the correct therapy in, in prison and outside of prison. And so my why is my, my higher power, that, that love and, that I feel and that connection and course my third why and very importantly is my wife and my children because I was away from them for so many years I was not able to see my children grow up which was very difficult for me for five years or four or four years I was not able to see them grow up and I'm just grateful to be home again so grateful so those are my whys that keep me going but I've learned in my life uh, through my higher power, through therapy, how to overcome addiction to the point of having no more desire. I, I literally can say honestly that I, I have no desire to look at pornography anymore. I'm not tempted by it. This coming uh, Halloween will be five years that I've, I've looked at pornography, and I'm so grateful, and I don't struggle with it daily. And so... Uh, the most important thing, number one, is that uh, the connection with I have to my higher power and other people. So I connect with my higher power through covenants, through promises to God that I take seriously. And the people I sponsor also do the same. And we have a, a app called Habit Share, and we have accountability to each other. But Covenants help me to put God first in my life. And I know there's covenants of baptism and other things like that, but covenants are weekly covenants that I that I do, things that are achievable, but help me remember my higher power daily and put him first daily in my life. Uh, that whole attitude of constantly having uh, my higher power on my mind is liberating, and it's what I need to stay sober and maintain a mighty change. And then connection with others is vital. Being vulnerable with people I trust and receiving compassion and not having secrets. I have two sponsors. 
one that uh, I uh, from Sexaholics Anonymous that was uh, in prison through uh, sponsored by Mel, and he's still my sponsor out in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Great man, very uh, devout Catholic. Uh, very strong testimony of his higher power and the importance of it. Every time I talked to him, I said, how are you doing? He says, by the grace of God, I'm sober one more day, and he's been sober for years. And I have a local sponsor here where I live. But uh, connection with others is vital. And one thing that my sponsor taught me was bring everything to light. He said he even brings his dreams. If he has a sexual dream, he calls his sponsor the next day and brings it to light. It gets it out. It get we we can resolve it. We can talk about it, and uh, it we can put it in the past. And so I'm grateful for that. The next thing uh, that I do is I receive light. I do things that bring light to to my life. Part of that is repentance. So in prison, in order to get out of prison, I every prisoner has to show how they have. Uh, th- there's four R's that uh, are very important to the board of pardons and parole. They are remorse, responsibility, restitution, and rehabilitation. And to me, that's repentance. And when I first got into prison, I spent a long time in therapy realizing the harm I've caused to people for my choices. And it was very eye-opening. I did not know really the impact my choices have had on other people until I was able to do these exercises and reach out to people and ask them how... I've affected them. And a person cannot take responsibility for their choices and how they affect other people unless they have remorse. So these things are in order. I cannot rehabilitate unless I am willing to make restitution. I cannot be willing to make restitution unless I take responsibility. I cannot be take responsibility unless I have remorse. So remorse is a big part of my maintaining a, my sobriety is remembering the harm that I've caused by my choices and the ripple effect that it, that it happens, that it has on people. And once I took responsibility, I was willing to m- fix things the best I could. Of course, I can't fix things myself, but be willing to make living amends and serve people. I did a lot of service in prison, which I'm grateful for that they allowed me to do that. And the rehabilitation, I just love therapy in prison. It was... It was uh, very cathartic in my life. I was able to get trauma therapy for the times when I was a kid growing up where I was sexually abused by, by these men growing up. And I learned that that's where my same-sex attraction came from. And so I was able to start practicing what's called unblending, where when I got these same-sex attraction feelings that came, I would unblend from my adult self and my child self and be curious and compassionate, curious about what he was feeling when he was younger and compassion upon him, loving and accepting him for who he was because that's what he needed at the time. He was just wanting love and acceptance and was being molested instead. And so that's some great therapy, and that truly has helped me to uh, cure the same-sex attraction. I know people say that same-sex attraction is not curable, but I believe in a God that can cure anything, and he was able to teach me how to do that through therapy. 
And then the next one uh, was healing my identity. I needed to not live in the identity of I'm, I'm an addict for the rest of my life. <clears throat> Whatever we think about, we, we bring about. And I kept labeling myself as a bad person. I kept labeling myself as an addict. I kept labeling myself as no hope for change. And I was able to look at myself as my higher power would see me and realize that I'm much more to him than I thought I was to me. And actually write that down, that I'm just not the kind of person anymore that uh, sexually acts out. I'm just not that kind of person. And part of that was rewriting my past. I had a great therapist on the outside of prison, on aftercare therapy, that taught me that uh, my past, just reframe it and rewrite it so it's a positive thing. So I don't live in this despair the rest of my life for the harm I've caused. And I was able to rewrite my past as a positive thing that I needed to learn these things so that I could help others. And uh, so I could learn these things so that uh, I could be the father that I need to be to my children at home and, and my adult children and the husband that my wife deserves. And so I'm grateful for uh, the things that I learned in prison about that uh, and outside of prison where I can reframe my past. I can look forward to the new me where I write how God views me and live that today. Um, so, so with that, uh, one, thing, one of the R's I've added was retention. How do I retain this sobriety, this mighty change? And that goes into implementing the change. And the implementing the change is... Uh, taking care of emotions and thoughts before they go to the lust part of my brain. And so my therapist on the outside, when I got out of prison, I, I got a massage uh, where you get naked underneath the sheet. My back was hurting really bad, and, and I started having these sexual thoughts and these sexual feelings and lust, and I just fantasize about it a little bit. And you know, I, I brought it to my group and told my wife, and it was very important. I brought it to light, and I got help. But I talked to my therapist, and he says, Mike, just don't lust. In, in, uh, on, on, uh, when a person is on parole, they have to take these polygraphs. And lust can actually be show up on a polygraph of looking at pornography. And if a person on parole looks at pornography, they break the parole agreement, and they go back to prison. And so he says, Mike, just don't lust. And I thought, is it really that simple? Just don't lust? So I started applying the things I learned in prison and in therapy and the things outside of prison. And I realized there's a way to not just lust. Of course, it involves a higher power, but uh, it's a matter of uh, uh, what I call the seven-star retreat, or the people I sponsor, they call it the seven R's. And so what it is is, uh, is the first R is recognize. Recognize the feelings, the thoughts, the emotions or the thoughts uh, before they get to the lust part of my brain and to be able to remember how um, what my why, you know, the importance of freedom in my life, remember the, my family, my higher power, remember the consequences and the remorse. That's how I live in the now and make good choices as I have the remorse for the harm I've caused and I have the consequences of my choices because when you pick up a stick, you pick up both ends. When I make a choice, it's the consequences also that I get.
And so I remember that. I remember my Savior, Jesus Christ, can help me to uh, overcome these emotions and these thoughts. And then I take responsibility and I remove myself from that wherever I'm at. And then I regulate emotions, replace thoughts, and request help. Those are my seven R's, and they work beautifully. And part of uh, my regulate emotions is replacing dopamine. I call them dopamine hits in my brain because it's you know my brain is just trying to give me a release, uh, some type of dopamine high. And in the past, it's been pornography. Uh, and it knows that it, that's that's a solution. At least it thinks it is. It's there's a lot of pain afterwards, but it's just trying to take care of me. So I show a lot of gratitude my brain for, to my brain for taking care of me. And but then I teach my brain there's something different. There's a better way. And I, I seek for emotional regulation. I seek a uh, a different dopamine hit, like exercise, like uh, food, like a passion project, like. Um, uh, calling a friend, uh, playing video games, whatever it is, it distracts me and it gives me that high, that dopamine high that I need to help with my emotions. I also learned to de-escalate people that are angry in prison. And it's a three-step process. And I use the same process to de-escalate my emotions so that they uh, don't cause me to be tempted to look at pornography. So these, uh, these three steps are to validate, to give options, and give freedom to choose. So in prison, you validate the person that's angry and show empathy and say, yeah, I can see how you're feeling that way. You, know, you listen to them, and then you uh, give them options. You know, what, what, you, what, what options do you have? You could hurt somebody. You could get angry. Um, you could uh, forgive. You could go out and do something else. And what are the consequences of all those things? Talking about the consequences, you know, kind of playing it out in a role play. And then giving them the freedom to choose. And so I do that with my own emotions. I validate how I'm feeling with stress or whatever the emotion is. And then I talk about my options, the consequences of my options, looking back at the remorse also. And then I allow myself to choose. And it gives me control over my emotions. And there's also something I learned in prison about what's called SAFE. It's to separate from the emotion, um, and then it's to acknowledge it, kind of name it, and then to feel it, and then to excuse it, not be afraid of it. You see, emotions, before, you know, with my, with my crime, it, I had to think before I acted. Our thoughts, we can't act unless we think about it. And emotions affect our thinking. So emotions happen, and then it affects our thinking, and the thinking affects our our permission to act out. And we have to give ourselves permission to act out. We just can't act out. We have moral uh, codes in our brain, and we, the no, we know that something's wrong. Like for me, looking at pornography is wrong. It's against my moral code. But I would do it anyways because I would make excuses. I would rationalize. Um, and so we, those are called thinking errors. Thinking errors are excuses and ways of our brain giving ourselves permission to do something we know is wrong. And so it's very important to control our emotions before they get to our, our, our thinking and to control thoughts, especially before they go actually to an action. And so one way I control my thoughts is I had a therapist in prison that taught me stop, thought, redirect. And so I put an acronym together for stop, and that was to surrender the thought, speak truth to it, 
because thinking errors are lies. Speak truth to it. Offer myself grace because I'm not a bad person for having that lot that that thought, especially because of my past um, that, that that happened to me. And then the, there's three P's. If I'm objectifying, if I thought to objectify somebody sexually, that the P is to pray for them because I humanize them. Objectification is a thinking error. And if I humanize them by praying for them, they become a, a son or daughter of God. And the, the lust thought just kind of goes away because they're not an object anymore. They're just a person that's very important. Or I praise God when it goes away. Or I have a power statement that I say, that gives me faith to have courage to overcome that thought. And so I use this throughout the day, and it's actually become automatic in my life where these thoughts um, come in, and I automatically go to stop thought, I surrender, I speak truth, I offer myself grace, and then I either praise God or have a power statement or pray for the person. And it's great because, see, our brain is, 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 is plasticity. It's, it can change. So we have neural pathways in there, and my old neural pathway was to go straight to to pornography, so I can get that dopamine hit. But over time, and it was automatic, but over time we can actually train our brains to be automatically go to emotional regulation and replacement of thoughts so it does not go to a lust part of our brain. And so that's really helped me in my thoughts. Another thing that's helped me in my thoughts is the remorse I felt um, for all the, the prison trauma that I went through and being away from my family. It's it was very heart-wrenching for years in prison. And the coolest thing happened just the other day. I was having a sexual thought, and I started to throw up. I started to dry heave because it reminded me of um, the, the harm I've caused and, and you know, being away from my family and, and how you know my daughter would tell me. She would cry and tell me how much she missed me and how hard it was. And, of course, that goes for all my children that I missed out on. It just makes me sick. And so part of thought control is also redefining. I've redefined porn. It's not pleasurable. It's painful. I don't like it. It hurts. And it's it's actually uh, cheating on my wife because it's lusting for somebody else. It's actually uh, supporting victimization because those people are people. They're not objects. They're real people. Some of them are forced to do what they have to do that, those naked acts. Some people are, are actually uh, have to earn money because they're so poor and they have to put food on the table, and, uh, but they're forced to do it in that way. And uh, it, there's no good that comes of it for anybody. It just supports this program that's hurting people. And eventually people would, could cause, you know, do crimes and, and hurt people outside of the pornography. So to me, pornography is not pleasurable. It's painful, and that's another way to control thoughts is to actually identify it as such. But the other thing uh, is to have a relapse prevention plan. I have um, what's called a tower security that I put together that has all my positive identity changes that I've had over, you know, identified to myself how God views me. It has my prevention plan, the seven-star retreat, the seven R's, the stop thought, the emotion regulations. And I live it. I, I look at it. And then I have... Um, what's called a lapse evaluation. So there's a difference between relapse and lapse. A lapse is when we're trying hard and we mess up and then uh, we evaluate and we try hard again. Relapse is when we actually binge, give up, don't care, and, and just go all out. And, uh, and so it, we don't, 
we don't need to be hard on ourselves as we're trying to improve. That is Satan's tool, not God's tool. God has compassion and doesn't condemn us. He wants, he wants us to improve, and it takes time, little by little. But shame, resilience, and compassion and love for ourselves is so important. Rewriting our history to be positive, because that's what he'd have us do, in my opinion. And then uh, lastly is teaching others. This is step 12 in the, in the uh, 12-step program, and it's how we maintain sobriety. So as I teach others, I, I live what I... It, it secures it in my brain and in my living. It's who I am. Not only do I help others, but also it becomes part of me, and that's what I want so badly because of the consequences of sexually acting out and what it can lead to. Uh, I don't want to have any part of that, and I want to do whatever it takes, which includes teaching others so I can maintain that sobriety. So I am grateful to God for my sobriety. It is Him. And one thing I want to say about that is gratitude. I can't take credit. I cannot take credit for my sobriety at all. Once I do, then I start to get prideful. And prideful people, when I'm prideful, I fall. And so what I do on sobriety benchmarks, like uh, the other day I had a 17, you know, several months ago I had 1,700 days sobriety. And I, my wife said, let's go celebrate. I'm so happy. And I said, yeah, we can do that, but I've got to celebrate by going and serving somebody because it's not me that did it, it's God that did it. And so I have to go serve one of his children. So I was able to find a lady in, in line at Subway. I was in Subway getting $50 worth of with Subway for all of our children and my wife and I. And I met this lady. She had a she had a cross in her, earring cross of Jesus Christ. And I said, you know, I need, to, I need to buy you your food because God has blessed me so much to overcome some addictions I've had, and I need to bless you because I need to praise him by blessing one of his children. And she was so touched, and she says, well, let me, she says, I'll let you. I'm so grateful, and I'm a believer too. And she said, let me buy, let me give you my, um, my military discount. And this is how God works. I was willing to sacrifice 10 bucks to buy this, this lady, this child of God, this uh, her meal, and it turned out that when her discount, after we applied the discount, I really didn't owe anything for her meal because of the discount, and that's just how God works. We're willing to do things. He pours out blessings to us. So with that, I one day at a time, uh, I just am grateful to God, my higher power. But it takes work to to for it to happen. It takes willingness to let God into our lives. It takes whatever it takes, attitude, and it takes gratitude to maintain the sobriety. Thank you, Spencer. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing all that. I didn't, uh, there's so many places where uh, we could jump into, you know, asking and answering questions, but I wanted to make sure that you had time to, to, Want to be able to get through uh, a complete thought there. So I'm really grateful that you were able to share with us today. Um, like I said, there are you know, tons of things that we can ask about. And um, any listeners who have questions, you're welcome to drop questions in our uh, Discord channel. Uh, the link to that is going to be in the description. And um, But we are about out of time, so we're going to um, maybe not so spend so much time expounding on, on the details, but, um, 
yeah i uh yeah just really grateful to have to have mike on today um and uh, yeah just a reminder anything that you've heard today is you know the opinion of the person who said it take what you need leave the rest any attempt to contact guests is inappropriate unless otherwise indicated by that guest on the show uh all guest information is strictly confidential. If you have comments or questions, feel free to join our community on Discord. You can find an invite link in the description below. Please reach out through Discord if you or someone you know would be willing to share a story with us. No matter where you're at on your recovery journey, we highly recommend attending 12-step meetings and working the 12 steps with the guidance of a sponsor. And um, we're going to close the show today by reading from oh, from the big book uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 84 uh, well, 84 to 85 and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol or in our case lust for by this time sanity will have returned we will seldom be interested in liquor if tempted or lust if tempted we recoil from it as from a hot flame we react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor or lust has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And Mike, it sounds like with this uh, unique experience that you've had, that you have come up with uh, some resources that for people who may be struggling. Um, and yeah, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Hi, this is Mike again. Um, I have been blessed to be able to have um, a local university willing to work with me on putting together a website uh, that's free. There's no donations. There's nothing because this kind of work I can't charge for. It has no monetary value to me whatsoever. It's my step 12. And I've been amazed at how things have come together. These these uh, these professors and therapists, doctorate degrees. I even went to a lab where I was able to look at a um, a rat's brain on cocaine, which is very similar to uh, the type of high addiction that pornography gives, and looked and see how the brain works on addiction. Uh, but these professors and a, a couple of college students have actually agreed to and supportive in helping with putting together a website that uh, is our resources for people that uh, it, it's, it's things that have worked for me. I'm not saying that they're gonna work for everybody. I know they've helped the people I sponsor, but it's just another resource that people can use to receive freedom in their lives. And the website uh, will be up uh, in about uh, 45 days, but it's um, mightychange.org. So 
I'm not trying to advertise it for any monetary value, just part of my step 12 to help people. If there's something on there that helps you, great. If not, like Spencer says, just leave it. And hopefully that uh, can help somebody out there that uh, is struggling and would like some tools to help them to change. Thank you, Spencer. Yeah, I think, uh, at least for me, for myself, you know, listening to Mike's story, he uh, took the opportunity to share in a few meetings that I had the chance to go to. And um, it's pretty sobering from my perspective, kind of uh, not having experienced a lot of the, the events that have taken place in his life. Um, however, I can relate to the the experience of addiction and I can relate to the experience of of allowing a higher power to enter in and completely change my life and uh, it's you know it's it, it's like there's there's it's ongoing miracle that I am continually dependent on and am always trying to like, you know, learn how to better accept. And I also uh, frequently fall prey to, to pride and other things that sort of take me away from remembering where like the, really the true source of my life. And that's my higher power. That's, you know, uh, that has to be the source of my life. And I find that I'm happiest and most healthy and recovered and sober when I'm living, operating on that basis. So um, again, uh, questions are welcome, but um, feel free to you know, go through the appropriate avenues and we will uh, you know, follow up on anything that you guys wanna hear about or anything like that. So. Thanks again uh, to Mike for being here with us today. Thank you very much to our uh, listeners. Um, you are a stellar group. Thank you for clicking the clicking the buttons necessary to, to <laughs> uh, add to the this influ add this influence into your life. That's hopefully a positive one. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye.